Today's episode is sponsored in part by Henny and Rue. Henny and Rue is a monthly subscription box made by a chicken keeper for chicken keepers. Each month, the box typically includes poultry first aid items, new treats and coop products, and a fun gift for us, the chicken keepers. There have been so many times we've been in a pinch for chicken keeper basics, and we've had them handy because we're both subscribed to Honey and Rue. If you love Happy Mail and you have poultry, this subscription box is perfect for you. Go to honeyandrue.com and be sure to use code DRINKANDFARM to save 10% off your first box. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What you drinking? I just opened a Plum Plum by Octopi Brewing. (laughs) Plum Plum. (laughs) I mean, I think they meant for it to be called Plum Plum because they wrote Plum twice. So that feels reasonable, right? It feels cutesy. I like it. It does. (laughs) It's a pink can and it is a Plum Berliner Weiss. So I'm actually really excited about this beer. (laughs) What'd you open over there? So I opened a Sagatuck Brewing Company Blueberry Lemonade Shandy. Mmm. Yes. And it's a summer on the brain all year long. So apparently you can drink it all year long and think about summer. And it's hot as balls today. So I thought this was perfect and it's very yummy. Highly recommend. Nice. <laughs> Our drink peep this episode is Elizabeth Steves, which is at Steel02 over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. So it's kind of funny that I just commented that it's like hot as balls in summer, and we're going to talk about a season change. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I don't think uh, that that's that out of the ordinary for us when no, you really think about it. No. <laughs> We're always thinking ahead, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing. Yes. So today we're going to talk about how it's not too late to get started on your fall garden. Yes. And Sam, me, don't mean to talk in the third person, but it happens. Uh, I... I'm not planning on doing a fall garden, but I feel like I'm going to learn a lot today so I can do one next year because my, I don't even know what you want to call it, summer garden. I don't know. It feels like I kind of did things kind of weird and late. Uh, (laughs) Weird and late is my nickname. (laughs) So I did the Bev method this year um, of weird and late (laughs) and like My pumpkins are, like, just now taking off, so who the hell knows if I'm actually going to have pumpkins on time, but, like, and I've grown two beans. Two? Yes. That's exciting. Yes. It's better than no beans. Uh, yeah. So, (laughs) I feel, like, encouraged and excited to do more next year, and fall garden is going to be part of my plan. I mean, that's how gardening kind of starts and gets you. 
because your first few years and like the few can stretch into several you're kind of not going to have any idea what you're doing because <laughs> yeah. like that's just the way that it works unless you happen to have like the exact setup and the exact kind of soil and the exact like all the things uh, the blogs that you're reading or podcasts that you're listening to happen to have because like your little space is your space and mm-hmm. it just behaves the way that your space does I don't know how else to describe that um but that's how gardening has just kind of been for me and i mean i I don't think i'm an outlier in that i don't think there's anything like special and weird about my place i just think that that's the way that it is but some people are afraid to talk about that because that like almost makes it sound like you can't teach other people how to do it but i don't think that that's true i just think you gotta like take other people's advice and figure out how to make it work for you and yours yeah it's kind of subjective to your situation. Yeah. So it's like 80% of it is probably like basic information, but there's that naughty 20% that can just screw you over. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. We've got a lot of garden wisdom going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I always feel like fall kind of sneaks up on me. Um, and all of the blogs about gardening kind of give you this advice with like, lists of things that you should be doing at 14 weeks from your frost and 10 weeks from your frost and so on and so forth. But in zone six, which is where I'm at, 14 weeks from my first frost is like mid-July. And clearly it's the end of August. So... Oh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I did not start any of those things at the 14-week mark. Um... But that's totally okay. And, you know, honestly, I did start things a little earlier this year for the fall garden than I normally do. Because, like I said, Weird and Late is my nickname. (laughs) And, like, none of the cold, hardy veggies survived that attempt at actually doing things timely. So I had to kind of recollect myself and decide what I was going to do to uh, get a fall garden growing and decide how I was going to do some gardening past when the first frost happens. Uh, Before we dive in, we did do a fall garden episode last year, and we actually did it in early August. So we were more on time last year than we were this year. (laughs) This year, we were late, late, late. (laughs) Uh, Better late than never. Exactly. (laughs) And that is episode 73. It's called A Fancy Way to Say Whole, and we'll have a link to that (laughs) in the show notes so that you can listen to that one as well, Uh, because that episode's really cool because we talk about... Uh, all the different plants that are ideal for a fall garden, um, great uses for your fall garden harvest, and some plant terminology. So you'll probably want to hear that one if you missed it. So to get started, we're going to talk about three different methods that I'm using this year to extend our gardening. Because like every year I end up with these really grand goals of what I'm going to do. <laughs> We'll see what actually gets executed on, but I've started all three of these things, so I'm feeling pretty good right now. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it is pretty awesome. So the first method that I'm using to fall garden is our outdoor raised beds, which is a great obvious place to start because it is garden infrastructure that I already have that is just ready and waiting there. So there's nothing fancy or complicated about it. If you've got garden space and you've got some room for some fall vegetables, you can do this also. And outdoor raised beds are perfect for 
radishes, carrots, spinach, arugula, parsley, cilantro, and all the brassicas, which are like kale, bok choy, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, and so much more. So many plants. (laughs) (laughs) All the plants. All the plants. Um, And... I've also planted all the leafy like salad greens in there again, um, even the ones that aren't really cold hardy because like I said, I've got, actually, I don't know if I've said this. I think I've got about 50-ish days before our first like hard killing frost. So that's plenty of time for those greens to come in fully and us to enjoy them uh, before that happens. Uh, The greens and the herbs inside the garden, I direct sowed those into the soil that's in the raised garden beds super heavy. Like I used a ridiculous amount of seeds. I did them almost like I would my microgreens, just like a big old line of seeds. And I did that intentionally um, because A, I wanted to make sure that some actually grew uh, because half of those aren't even going to sprout or are going to get washed away or my cats are going to bat them out because <laughs> my cats are jerks and won't get out of my garden beds. <laughs> I know I keep yelling at them, but now they're uh, stalking the corn to keep the raccoons out. So I apologized and I let them stay. No. Um, but the other reason why I sewed really heavy is because I go in there and I thin them once they get true leaves. So the true leaves are the second set of leaves that come up after those like little tiny set of first leaves. Um, And I eat them in salads just like you would microgreens. So um, that's how I kind of thin them out so that I'll get some microgreen style grains. And then when there's space, the rest of the plants that are still there will grow up into the full-size plants that I intended them to be, which is kind of cool. It's like dual-purpose gardening in the yeah. same space. Plus, you get some instant gratification because those greens grow super fast. And another thing that I really like about this method is that since I'm eating the thinnings, I feel like I'm not wasting them because that's one of the things that I always struggled with is thinning plants because I worked so hard to grow them. I hate throwing them away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for the raised beds, I also started carrots, beets, and radishes. But I started those in a flat 10 by 20 inch trays inside the greenhouse. And I'm transplanting those into the raised beds once the leafy green tops look solid. Mm. Okay. And the reason I'm doing it this way is that was advice uh, that I got from my friend Amy over at Fruitdale Farm. That's how she's doing hers this year Um, because she was having the same trouble I was. I planted a whole bed of beets and not one of them grew. And I have no idea why. I don't know if it was like the soil or we just had too big of a dry patch, you know, Mm. that like the seedlings came up and then they just like parched to death. I'm not really sure exactly what happened but we get enough rain here I don't really have like a drip system or any type of watering system so seedlings have got to be like pretty tough to get by in my garden (laughs) (laughs) so this method allows them to be like nurtured the way that they really want to be in the greenhouse and then I'll transplant them individually into the garden, which does take a little more time. And individually transplanting these things is kind of tough. I feel like I have kind of like clumsy man hands when I'm like 
dealing Aww. with seedlings. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I can do, like, tiny, fine motor skill things. But as soon as I'm touching, like, a baby seedling, I suddenly feel like I have giant hands. Oh. <laughs> so I will lose some of them to that. Um, but one of the other things that's really cool about this method is you get to space them properly. So you'll lose some to the fumbling fingers, but then the rest of them that you plant, they'll be spaced right, so you won't have to worry about thinning. So they'll grow and use all the space that they need, which is kind of a good thing. The larger plants for the fall garden, like broccoli and Brussels sprouts, uh, I started those in pots to be transplanted once there's room in the garden. Tomatoes, sunflowers, squash, and corn are kind of getting to be on their way out. I think the corn's still got like three weeks before it's ready, and then I'll get to pull those and pull all the stalks out, and I'll have an empty bed. The pumpkins will stay until after we have a frost um, because mm -hmm. I like my pumpkins are tiny still. <laughs> so I don't know if they're going to grow all the way, but whatever. Mini pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'll be adorable. So who cares? I don't even mind. And things like that actually taste better after they've had like one frost. So it's okay. It's just that the leaves aren't going to survive the frost if it's a really good one. Mm -hmm. uh, and squash is on its way out because by this time of year, the squash bugs have like totally taken over. So now it's just like any day, they're not going to be any good anymore. But <laughs> they keep putting out a couple squashes a day. So I'm going to leave them until it's looking super bad. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be some more real estate opening up soon. Um, and that's when those big plants will go in. Um, but those big plants haven't even broken ground yet. So I've still got plenty of time. And uh, what I'm going to do to extend the growing season inside the garden is uh, once I get warning that there is going to be a frost that night, I just go out and put a plastic sheet on the garden bed and I hold it down with like some logs or some bricks. Sometimes I put a stick in the middle of the bed just to like tent it up mm -hmm. so that the uh, plastic doesn't damage any of the taller plants. Uh, but that is totally sufficient to keep your garden going. Um, for me here in Southern Ohio, zone six, I can keep my garden going to like Thanksgiving that way. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is pretty cool because we don't have, or we don't typically, I shouldn't say we don't because we do sometimes, but we don't typically have long stretches of freezes until you get into late November. And then once you start getting like three and four nights in a row and then when the freeze is like lasting into the day that's usually when I give up on the sheet <laughs> like, it's just too much work for yeah. a thin piece of plastic <laughs> yeah. you need more permanent things uh, for stuff like that and a more permanent solution would be like a cold frame which is something that I'm working on building I actually just picked up the windows for that from my neighbors today um, I had some neighbors that were replacing the windows in their porch, and they gave me all the windows. So now I have a barn full of windows, which is exciting. <laughs> but it's just one more project that we need to do. And Jared said I'm on my own for that project. So it might be a while before I figure out how I'm going to frame it and make it work. But I do have something sketched out, and I've got an idea. So when I start to execute on that, I'll be sure and let everybody know what exactly it is I'm going to do with those. <laughs> oh boy, sounds exciting. And method number two is going to be utilizing the greenhouse. So I actually have this crazy idea that I'm going to keep cucumbers, tomatoes, and peppers as long as I can in the greenhouse. 
And I have a game plan for that. And we'll see how well it works this year. But I know there are people that grow these things in greenhouses all year round. So I'm pretty sure that this is going to work. I don't think this is anything like crazy. So we looked at the greenhouse and we decided that we're going to build two raised beds that are going to be permanent on each side of the door. So when you walk in the front door of the greenhouse, you'll look to the left and you'll look to the right. And both of those will be raised beds. And the back wall will continue to be the potting benches. And um, once they're built, I've got a string trellis system that I bought that works specifically with the greenhouse that I'm kind of excited to use. It has like this neat pulley system on it and it hangs from the rafters of the greenhouse. But I'll be able to like take the string and tack it all the way down into the ground and then run the plant up it, which is going to be kind of cool. So uh, yeah. we'll see how that ends up working. And um, that's going to be for the cucumbers and the tomatoes, obviously. Um, I won't have to use them for the peppers. Mm-hmm. And come November, when we start getting those long stretches of cold, if the greenhouse isn't holding temperatures that we need, because um, like tomatoes, I think the coldest that they'll produce flowers is like 55 degrees. So I need the greenhouse to stay warmer than that. 24 hours a day. If it's not, I'm not going to get tomatoes. So we're going to run an extension cord under the edge of the greenhouse. I'm going to like install a PVC tube that gets like buried into the rocks. I can run an extension cord through it and then we'll have like a greenhouse approved heater out there. It's got to be like kind of waterproof because <laughs> it gets pretty humid right. inside a greenhouse. You can't yeah. just like run any heater out there. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be a big one because my greenhouse is pretty small that should extend the growing season out there for as long as I can remember to run the heater when it's needed that's gonna be my fail spot I think (laughs) because it's really hard to remember to do those things but um, I did install a thermometer out there in the greenhouse that actually is supposed to send me a text message when the greenhouse falls outside my parameters for temperature. So we'll find out if that works, because then that should help me remember to go out there and turn it on when I need to. But, you know, obviously, once it gets too cold in there, if everything freezes, like, that's just going to be too late. So, (laughs) well, that's pretty cool if that thermometer thing does work, you know. Uh, I've never even thought of that or heard of that before, but that's super smart, and I like being able to leverage technology for this kind of stuff, and Willow agrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. I like leveraging technology, too. I'm like, I'm super into using all of the tools that we have at our disposal. I think that it just like really helps make things efficient and work like really well. So I was excited when I found that thermometer. I think it was only like 50 bucks on Amazon. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So if anybody else wants to check out that thermometer, they can. But like I said, I just kind of got it hooked up. So I don't really know if it's going to work the way that I intended, but we'll see. The reviews were good on it. So that's always nice. So something else that I have to uh, do for cucumbers, peppers, and tomatoes is that during the winter, they're all going to need hands pollinating because there aren't going to be bees in there. I didn't even think of that. (laughs) So how does that work? Because I am completely ignorant. So hand pollinating is actually really cool. I did it with squash this year, and it was really fun. We'd go out there and use a paintbrush and like 
paint the male flowers and then paint the inside of the female flowers. And we got so many squash that way. It was super cool. So you hand pollinate cukes, um, which are cucumbers, uh, the exact same way that you would squash uh, a little tiny paintbrush because they're teeny tiny flowers. Um, and you can tell the difference between the male flowers and the female flowers on the cucumbers because female flowers have the little tiny mini fruit behind the flower and male flowers just have a stem. So that's how you can see them really oh, easily. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And there will be a link in the show notes to a little video on how to hand pollinate cucumbers. And hand pollinating peppers, you do a similar thing with the small, tiny paintbrush uh, because the flowers for peppers are super tiny also. But pepper flowers have the male and female parts all within one flower. So you're not really moving the pollen from the male flower to the female flower. You're just kind of like shaking it around in there so that the pollen will get on to the female parts of the flower. It's kind of interesting. So sexual. <laughs> it is. It's super sexual. Wait, wait until you hear how you do the tomatoes. Oh, oh my. <laughs> So tomato plants are kind of like pepper plants um, and that the flowers, they don't have male and female flowers. Each flower has like both the parts in it. But tomato plants are best pollinated by vibration. Kinky. Yes, super kinky. (laughs) So you can take a you can take like the stem of the tomato that's got all the little flowers on it and just shake it. Or you can get an electric toothbrush and hold that up to the stem and that should vibrate it at the right, uh, what's what I'm looking for, like frequency to get the pollen to shake and fall onto all the parts. But fun fact, while I was doing research for this, I learned that bees and, you know, it was a specific type of bee and I can't remember which one, but bees wings actually like vibrate at the ideal frequency for the pollen to drop. So that's why they're such efficient pollinators for tomatoes. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah, it's super cool. So the greenhouse is going to require a little more hands-on work, but it's going to be kind of fun. Even though I don't get a lot out of it, I think just like all these past years of gardening, I'm going to gain a lot of hands-on experience, which is going to be pretty valuable. Exactly. Yeah. And the third method that I'm doing is the method that I'm actually most excited about. I would think that the greenhouse would be what I was most excited about. But for some reason, this indoor garden thing has just like really captured my attention. And I don't know if it's because the little planters are so adorable or it probably helps. <laughs> it does. It totally helps. But I've also kind of decided that I'm going to turn like parts of the house into these like edible garden oasises. <laughs> oh, how exotic. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be super exotic. So I do have the beginnings of an indoor garden starting to be set up. And in fact, I already have microgreens growing and I'm just a few days away from harvesting those. So if anyone wants to hear how to grow microgreens, we actually did an episode on that as well. And that is episode 99 called Vegetable Confetti. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes also. But besides microgreens, I also have different kinds of lettuces, tomatoes, Thai chili peppers, and fairy tale eggplants. 
planted right now. And I planted them in little hydroponic uh, planters. Mm. So the tomatoes, Thai chili peppers, and eggplants are being grown in eco planters that I got from Cocoa and Seed. And these are like these super cute, like mid-century modern style little uh, hydroponic planters. And there's going to be a link in the show notes to a little video that she did on how she puts the planters together so you can kind of see how they work. But each planter is like a mini hydroponic system that doesn't require a bubbler. And if you have super sunny windows, you also don't need a grow light. But I need a grow light, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I tried really hard to grow them without a grow light. And they like sprouted and got about three inches tall and then didn't do anything for like four weeks. And I was like, all right, I shall put a light on you guys because I have them. I don't know why I took so long to decide to do it. But my house face is north-south, so I don't have any windows that get prolonged sunlight. Yeah, it's kind of sad, but that's okay. Luckily, there are grow lights, so I'll get over it. And I also looked this up because I was worried um, that maybe windows could be tinted in a way that blocked the correct spectrum of light to get through to your indoor plants and that is not the case windows do not do that so you're totally fine yeah which is super exciting and um i also started a couple of mason jar hydroponic systems and cocoa and seed has some cute little kits for those as well so if you only want a couple of them those kits are like perfect i wanted like a whole army of them so i ordered all of the pieces individually i think i've got enough for like 25 of them which is kind of a ridiculous number um but there will be a link in the show notes to a little video that she has on how those go together um And basically, the way that the little mason jar hydroponics works is that you plant your seeds in a little peat pellet that you expand into water. And then you use this like cool little net basket that you put clay pebbles into and you put your little peat pellet in it. And then you pop that into a mason jar that has water in it that has been treated with plant food up to the bottom of the basket so it's really cool because you get to like see the root system of your plants and recycle a mason jar and then you've got like this cool plant coming out of it so i saw those and was like i have to have some of those those look (laughs) super cool and the kids will really like getting to see the roots but there are a couple of things that you should know if you're going to do some like hydroponic gardening like this is uh, plants need more than just water. So ordering some good quality plant food to treat your water with is a must. If you just try to put plain tap water in there, your plants will be sad and they will not go anywhere. (laughs) Trust me, ask me how I know. (laughs) And roots also need oxygen. So be sure that you don't overfill your planters with water because you will drown the roots. Ask me how I know about that also. Oh, no. And plants definitely need the proper amount of light. So if your plants are stunted, uh, your window probably isn't sunny enough. So you'll want to put up a grow light. And I have a system that I do for my grow lights so that I don't have to have grow lights on during the day because I actually don't like to be around grow lights. The red and green spectrum like messes with my sleep if I'm staring at it all day. 
Oh. So I turn on our grow lights at night when I go to bed. And then when I get up in the morning, I turn them off and take them down. So I use these clip grow lights. So it's super easy. I just unplug, unclip, and then I have like a little basket that I keep them all in that's really close to the plants. So it's really convenient, but I don't have to look at the grow lights all day. Like my little plant areas get to be my pretty oasises that I'm looking to have, but the plants still get all the light they need. So it's been a pretty good balance. I've liked it. Cool. And there will be links to all of the things that you need for this type of gardening inside the show notes. So be sure and check that out because I know that that was a lot. (laughs) It was all really good stuff, though. I hope so. And I'm hoping that using... Well, so what I'm really hoping for is that since I've got these three things going... At least one of them will help keep (laughs) us in vegetables longer. If it's two, awesome. And if it's three, even better. Like, how exciting is that? So, Very. And, oh, I also bought, like, these cute little plant stands because I legit am just, like, going crazy for all of the indoor plants. So now I own multiple plant stands, multiple pots, and it's ridiculous. Like, my office is going to have two fig trees a pineapple plant, a lemon tree, a lime tree, and all of these vegetables in it. Oh my goodness. Here's crossing my fingers that they're not all dead by January. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end. The end. And now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. Bev, would you like me to go first so you can drink some of your beer? Yes, please. Absolutely. I can do that. So this week, my can't even is from modernfarmer.com. And this article actually came out on the 26th of August. So this is like breaking news. Um, At least for this website anyways. Um, (laughs) uh, So the title of the article is Chinese Entrepreneurs Develop Facial Recognition Software for Livestock. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you can find your cow using this facial recognition software? I or mean, kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, and it kind of caught my eye because I know, like, China's really big on facial recognition, like, to what I would consider a very creepy level. And, like, they have cameras everywhere. And, like, they're watching you all the time, and they're recording your behaviors, and it's Super Big Brother. So I was like, of course they developed this for animals, too. That was the logical (laughs) next step. So facial recognition technology is obviously increasingly more popular, even if you think in terms of, like, unlocking your smartphone, if you have that on your phone. Um, And it also helps with, you know, picking out criminals from surveillance footage. So it's kind of very broad use. Um, But it wasn't until recently that such innovations were being used for barnyard animals. New software largely developed in China involves installing facial recognition cameras throughout a farm and allows farmers to build a profile of each individual animal based on their face and hide features. Hmm. It has the potential to document animals' regular behavior, including drinking and eating habits while keeping tabs on their health, pregnancies, and insemination dates. That could be handy. Yes. 
Having this information would not only improve farm efficiency, but potentially could help prevent insurance fraud. Hmm. Insurance companies have relied on farmers to identify animals with their ear tags, but animals, you know, can chew those off. I guess is what the article is telling me, which I guess is a solid point. (laughs) Yeah, Um, fair enough. But the creator of this software, um, I'm not even going to attempt to say his name because I'm going to botch it. But um, he's a founder of Beijing Unitrace Tech. um, And he said he's been using the technology on sheep, cows, and pigs. And he said, for pigs, it's more difficult because pigs all look the same. Which I'm like, oh, poor piggies. (laughs) But it's kind of true. But dairy cows are a bit special because of their black and white and they have different shapes. So so what this does is it takes 50 photographs from different angles in order to have enough information for facial recognition to tell one cow apart from the rest. Um, And it goes into a little bit more detail. So if you guys are interested, of course, we'll put this in the show notes for you. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. And, like, it would be kind of handy. I mean, even, like, for chickens. Because sometimes you don't know, like, who laid the weird egg or who just started laying. Oh. So, so like, if you really want to creep on your animals, like, this technology is out there. I don't know how much it costs. Um, (laughs) But I thought it was kind of interesting. Well, and I feel like for animals, this technology could actually be more accurate than it is for people. I, yeah, I would hope so. I've read some, yeah, I've like, I've read some articles about how depending on what race you are, sometimes they're just not accurate at all. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. So what is your can't even about today, Bev? So my can't even is that domesticated chickens have smaller brains than their wild ancestors. What? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes. And this article was from Science Daily and it too was published on August 26th. So this is breaking news also. (laughs) Ooh, look at us. We're on the cutting edge. (laughs) Yeah, we are. So this research was done at Linkchomping University, and researchers suggest that the process by which the timid jungle fowl from the rainforest could have become today's domesticated chicken um, using selective breeding. So they actually bred jungle fowl uh, for 10 generations and found that over the 10 generations, the offspring acquired smaller brains than the original jungle fowl had. And this allowed them to become accustomed to frightening but non-hazardous events, which is something that domesticated chickens run into all the time. (laughs) So that allowed them to be not so terrified of humans that they could actually be handled. So I couldn't even that it only took 10 generations mm-hmm. for jungle fowl to go from the wild jungle fowl that they are to the buff Orpingtons that will happily come and jump on my lap in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Although, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Some of my chickens are still pretty terrified of me and I am 
the least hazardous thing that they run into <laughs> on a daily basis. So <laughs> they just must be rude. Yeah, or maybe their brains are just slightly bigger than oh, the than the ones maybe. that like me. So maybe. <laughs> so there'll be a link to this article in the show notes. There's like a whole journal paper on it. I just read the abstract, but I thought that that was super fascinating. <laughs> For sure. And make sure you guys are sending us your can't evens in our Facebook group or via Facebook Messenger, Instagram, however you want to send it. We'll take it. We like to read your can't evens on our mini-sodes. Yeah, and be sure and leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts because we read one a week on the podcast. And then when we read your review, you get entered into a drawing for a super cool mug. So I'm really excited about this week's uh, review. Can I read it? Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> you need to read this one because I can't pronounce one of the words in it, and I know you can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the title of this review is Synergy. And this was left by C. Lopez on Apple Podcasts. And she says, not only are these farm sisters a constant source of loving inspiration, they also recommended the quintessential quarantine film with a Kate Bush crescendo. My crevicore flock approves. So, yay! <laughs> yay! And there was like lots of emojis. And the film that she's talking about, of course, is Palm Springs, which is like my new favorite movie. <laughs> it is really good. <laughs> and the Kate Bush uh, song happens at the very end of the movie during the scene with all the explosions. So. <laughs> <laughs> So just a quick few housekeeping items. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash drink and farm. Uh, and it's your last chance to get on on the September gifts. So join by August 31st at the $5 level or above to get in on that. Yes. And those will be going out hopefully uh, the first Friday in September because we actually have everything in. So they're like... Yay! going out as soon as I can possibly get all those labels printed because there's a bunch of them that have to go out which is super exciting it just takes a little bit longer <laughs> yes and Drink and Farm has a phone number now. It is 401-426-FARM, which is 401-3276. Call us and leave us a voicemail with your farm story, your questions, or your can't evens, and we'll play them on our minisodes. And make sure you hit that subscribe button and down the episode when you listen. This helps more people like you find us. And share the Instagram post for this episode over in your Instagram stories and tag us and we'll send you a promo code that is good for our merch shop. And make sure you take a look at today's show notes to find links to all the fun things we talked about, a survey where you can tell us how we're doing, and all of our social media goodness and our merch shops. So that's it, guys. Thanks for following us on this fall garden Journey. Sesh. Journey. <laughs> <laughs> I tried so hard not to use the word I journey. I know. That's why I said it. <laughs> and until next time. Drink. Farm. And give zero clucks. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things. We farm things. We drink and farm things. 
You know that your chickens love foraging for insects and plants, so why not feed them what they naturally love? Grubly Farms Grubly Layer Feed is the world's first naturally balanced feed made with farm-grown insect protein and plant-based ingredients. With a healthy mix of grub and plant-based protein, essential amino acids, vitamins, and minerals, and no fish meal, it'll leave your feathered friends clucking pleased. So head on over to grublyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to get 15% off your first order today.